0: sound system we had no pulpit we had no organ we didn't even have a piano as you can imagine we were the kind of a congregation that some people might not even bother to visit for some people stained glass windows and pews and an organ are required for a church to feel like home for a church to feel like a church for those people a church in the next stage, in the in the recline stage, is a better fit. This is a a church uh, that fits the personal preferences of people who uh, look like a little less chaos in their life. The recline stage, in Doctor Ken Pretty's taxonomy, is a kind of plateau. The chaos and the hard work of the launch stage, of the incline stage, are over. Systems are in place. Finances are robust. Staffing is full. Buildings are comfortable. The church feels solid and it feels stable. Many pastors aspire to lead churches in the plateaued or the recline stage. Not only because large, stable churches are more prestigious but also because they require less work. As the pastor of a well-oiled, well-built, well-staffed, well-funded mint machine, you can recline a bit and put your feet up and enjoy the hard work of the pioneers who've gone before you. Dr. Pretty observed that people in reclining churches are quite content. Things are going well. In fact, they only wish that time could stay still, that every Sunday were just like last Sunday. And why not? Because the feeling in a reclining church, in a plateaued church, is that you've arrived. But here's the irony. George Barnum, the preeminent church pollster in America, has written, quote, Churches in plateau often don't realize they are in crisis. Churches in plateau often don't realize they are in crisis. And that's because if you're not going forward, if you're not going up, you're either drifting with the current or you're sliding backwards. Churches in plateau are always a heartbeat away from decline. As Dr. Pretty says, if we're not expanding, then we're heading for the backside of the life cycle. The final stage, decline, happens when churches experience a decrease in ministry capacity. Rather than reaching out, they turn inward. They conserve their energy and their money. They begin to focus on taking care of themselves rather than other people. Instead of going out and looking for the lost, they're worried that the lost might come here and mess up the status quo. Initially, decline sneaks up on a church. It begins imperceptibly. And when finally the decline is noticed, the typical response of a church is the desire to back it up. To an earlier time. To return to the stage of recline, of plateau when things were full and prosperous. Now there are important biblical reasons why the desire to go backwards is wrong. And we're going to talk about those reasons another Sunday. But leaving aside for the moment this morning what's wrong biblically with the desire to go backwards, let's just talk about physics. Except in science fiction, time only moves in one direction, forward. There is no way to go back. And so the desire to go back is at best idle nostalgia or at worst deeply disturbed irrationality. As Dr. Pretty says, the life cycle is a one-way street. So what does a church do that's in full recline or perhaps early decline? If Dr. Pretty is right and the church life cycle is a one-way street... What is the strategy for moving forward as inevitably we must without dying? Here it is. You just cut it off and you launch another life cycle. You cut off the one you're in and you launch another life cycle. And when that second life cycle matures years from now, you cut it off and you launch another one. The church is evergreen. We've been here 2,000 years, folks. church is going to be here until G- Christ returns. And along the way, many congregations have stuck to their initial curve. They've inclined, they've reclined, and they've declined until they've closed. Since the time I've been with you here at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church, we've seen that happen at Willow Grove Presbyterian Church and Roslyn Presbyterian Church and a number of other churches in our former denomination, it's not going to happen here. And it's not going to happen here because the session has taken a decision to restart, to hit the relaunch button, to hit the reset button, because the session has decided that it's time to begin a new life cycle in this old congregation. This congregation was founded the year Abraham Lincoln took the train to Washington, D.C. Think about that. And in the last 150 years, we have been through several life cycles already. We have successfully relaunched this congregation several times along the way, and we're going to do it again. Think of it like a schoolyard merry-go-round. Do you remember those? I don't know if they have them anymore. They seem very dangerous. You and your friends would grab the handle and you would begin to push. And slowly the merry-go-round would come to life and it would begin to turn. And as you push harder and your legs pump faster, it picks up speed. And once that thing is going as fast as you can possibly run, what do you do? You jump on. You go into recline. You go along for the ride and watch the world go by. Churches are just the same. The time when we're pushing the merry-go-round, when our legs are digging in and you can feel the burn in your thighs and the strain in your back, that's the incline phase. You're working hard and you're taking that church from zero to 60 and then you jump on for the ride and you think you've arrived. You're in recline, you're in plateau, and you sit back and you watch the world go by. It's fun. The centripetal force slams your back against the poles. You feel giddy. You feel exhilarated. It's so much fun. But you know where that ride's going. It won't last forever. And then you find yourself in the decline phase. And the merry-go-round winds down. And the speed is lost. And the spinning lessens. And eventually you coast to a graceful stop. You coast to a graceful stop unless you do what? You jump off. You get off that cycle and you start a new cycle. It's a call to relaunch. You get off the thing that's been spinning down and you cut off that existing life cycle and you start a new one. And that's what we're going to do right here. This is our next to last sermon in our series of sermons through the book of Joshua. This book is the story of the launch of a new nation. It begins with that exciting incline phase when everyone is working hard and obstacles are being overcome and cities are being conquered and the enemy is being defeated. And then comes the satisfying recline phase when peace is secured And the land is distributed and the people begin to enjoy the fat of the land. A land flowing with milk and honey. Incline and then recline. You know what's coming next. It's called decline. That's what we find in the next book of the Bible. The book of Judges. It's all about decline. But in today's reading, in today's reading we have a piece of Joshua's farewell address to the children of Israel. And in this farewell address, God reveals three keys that we need to know to permanently avoid the third stage in the life cycle. God's people have endured... Periods of decline. That's what the book of Joshua is about. God's people have endured periods of decline. But please note this. It is never God's intention for his people that they decline. God sent his son into this world to defeat death and chaos and decay and decline. So that the people of God can move from victory to victory. In Joshua chapter 23, or 22, whatever we read this morning. We have these three keys to permanently avoid this third stage in the life cycle. Three keys to having incline without decline. The first key is this. Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. The key to victory in football is not inventing some fancy new plays. The key to victory in football is knowing and consistently executing the fundamentals of the game. Blocking, tackling, running, passing. It's not rocket science. And we find the fundamentals of our faith and our Christian life in Scripture. In the medieval period... The church in Europe began to invent some fancy plays, some plays that were not found in the pages of Scripture. And the Protestant Reformation was an attempt to return back to the basics, to the fundamental teachings of Christ and the apostles. Teachings like, with Adam's fall, all humankind found itself under the curse of sin and death. Teachings like, Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God who lived a sinless life and died an atoning death on the cross. Simple truths like that if we place our faith in Christ alone, our sins will be forgiven. And we will be restored to a relationship with the Father and we will live with Him eternally. Those are the basics. Those are the fundamentals. Paul writes... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the one basic fundamental message that the church exists to proclaim. And everything that we do here at HVPC must be driven by a desire to proclaim this saving message and to seek and to rescue those who are lost and dying. And we must never turn to the left Or to the right from this one mission that has been given to us by the word of God. And if we remain true to this one mission, here's what's going to happen. What will happen is that we won't be able to have a combined service again. Because this sanctuary won't be large enough to hold this congregation. Key number one. Keep doing all that is written in the Word of God. And don't turn to the left or to the right. Key number two. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. Joshua 23, 11. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. Now, I don't know. Maybe that should be key number one. It's the first and the greatest commandment, according to Jesus. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Love God. Love Him. Enjoy Him. Delight in Him. In a verse that I think is on its way to becoming my new favorite verse, the psalmist writes, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Some of you don't have what you're longing for. You do not have the desires of your heart, your discontent. Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Are you thrilled to be with God? Do you long for His presence? Do you miss Him when you don't get to see Him? When you're not able to come to church? If we have Christ, we have everything. Key number two, be very careful to love the Lord your God. And key number three is a reminder... Of the past, and it's a promise of our future as the people of God. Not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. Let me read that again because it's really important. Not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you you i preached on that passage a couple of weeks ago and after the service some of our closet baptists came up to me and they said that it was all they could do to not shout hallelujah as i was reading through this list of promises that god has made to us as his people And I assured them that we would not revoke their Presbyterian membership card if they did shout. There's not enough shouting around this church, if you ask me. We Christians have been rescued from an eternity in hell. We have been given in its place all of the pleasures of eternal life with our Savior in New Jerusalem. And here we sit all proper and stony faced. Not making 1% of the noise that we make at an Eagles game. That's just crazy. God is pleased by our praise. He's pleased by our shouts of joy and our delight in Him. And if we keep silent and fail to give God the honor and the praise that He deserves, the Bible promises that even the rocks are going to cry out. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to heaven one day and have to explain to God why a rock did a better job than I did of glorifying Him. Every one of God's promises is true. You know them, you've heard them 10,000 times. Are you believing them? Are you holding on to them? Do you trust them? They're infallible. Every promise that God has made to His people will come to pass. And when we wrap our mind around that truth and our fear and our anxiety and our worry, they run right out the door. And we live lives that are free and exuberant and joy-filled and childlike. I'm grateful for the kids who came up here to sing. We Presbyterians need to learn to be more like children. All of you remember what Jesus said about the children. I won't insult you by quoting the passage. But I tell you what, we've got some repenting to do around here when it comes to living like children. Believe God. Believe the promises that he's made to you. Delight in him the way a child delights in her adoring father. Run to him the way a child runs to his mother. And then watch out. Because when we get straight, and we will get straight, when we get straight on these three keys, there will be nothing to stop us. And this church will be consumed with the labors and the thrills of a new stage of incline. All glory to God, not to us. Let us pray. Father God, we honor you and we adore you. And I pray that you would take our eyes off ourselves. I pray that we might be abased before you so that we can worship you. I pray that we might have a right opinion of how exalted you are and a right opinion of how, yeah, depraved we are. So that we might glorify in the fact that you've restored this relationship between us. That you've lifted us up and set us on that solid ground. Lord, we pray that we would repent of our pride and our sloth and our belief that we are the ones who move the church and not the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would send a fresh wind of revival in this congregation. We pray that you would put us on a fresh era of incline in this church. We thank you for the saints who have gone before us. Who have sustained this church through generations and long years. And we pray for the next rising generation that's being called to step up. And carry this work forward. We pray that you would be honored and glorified. And that people would be rescued. And I pray that you would make us lose sleep. Every night. Thinking about those who don't know you yet as Lord and Savior. I pray that we would lose sleep. And I pray this for your glory and for the salvation of the world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. I'm going to invite you now to stand and join in affirming what it is that we believe as Christians using the words of the Heidelberg Catechism. You will find that printed in your bulletins. Please stand. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? First, how great my sin and misery are; second, how I am delivered from all my sins and miseries; third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. You may be see that the ushers will come now